and would invite the rest of you to please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 8. Now, those of you who are new to us, on the back of the bulletin there is an outline that will follow the message with some fill-in-the-blank, some of the highlighted words that will be on the slides will give you a clue um, where those slots can be filled in. You know, as we look at what is going on worldwide, and even in our own nation, what we find is a lot of panic. And here's why. We take for granted the things that we do every day, the mundane, the routine. We look at them and we say, well, things are going to go on pretty much as they always go on without a wrinkle or a bump. And I can just assume that, that that's the way things are going to happen. And then, boom, something unexpected happens. We and others can go into full panic mode during those times. And what the Word of God encourages us to do is trust God. And the reason we can trust God is because of who He is. God is in control. Now, sometimes those words can ring hollow when we look at events around us and things are going on pretty much as we expected. Isn't it easy to say God is in control during those times? But man, when things start going haywire and the things that we always took for granted, we now look at and we say, yikes, that's when we really need to remember that God is in control. Now, a word that goes hand in glove with control is authority. God is God, and as God, He has authority over everything. This morning, we're going to look at some instances where Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, meets some unexpected to us, not to Him, of course, situations. And how his authority tamps down the panic and the fear that were associated with those instances. We're going to see that he has authority over the physical universe, the physical world around us. But he also has authority over the spiritual world. You could look at it like this. He has authority over the seen and the unseen. This is our God. Because as God, he has authority in all these things. Now, the passage begins with a story about how Jesus has authority over the physical realm. And what we find as we come to this story about the disciples and crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat, we find that often people have this idea that we can control nature, right? This idea that we can somehow offset what goes on in nature by our technology or our strength or our power or our resolve. But what we find with nature, be it a microscopic virus or a tornado that goes through the heart of Nashville, we have no control over nature whatsoever. And thinking that we do is foolishness. We're missing the point. Look at the story before us and look at the 23rd verse. Jesus had been ministering to multitudes, 
by healing them and casting out demons, by sharing the truth of his kingdom. And it was time for a rest. Now, any of you who deal with people on a daily basis know that you need some me time, right? And now even with social distancing, you're still going to have to have that me time. I think Deborah really got the spirit of it this morning, uh, the social distancing by sitting over there all by herself. (laughs) I'm picking on you. (laughs) But here's the idea. You know, Jesus needed time to be with his disciples, to separate himself. You see, when he took on humanity... As God, Jesus felt fatigue. He needed that time, that ability to just get away. And so, he and the disciples were going to board a boat. Now, these boats, the one that is mentioned here in this passage of Scripture, it was probably a fishing boat. It was probably about 26 feet long, maybe 7 feet wide. And many of the disciples were fishermen. And so the idea of jumping in a boat and crossing the lake would have seemed somewhat routine to them. They would check the sky, you know, pink sky at night, sailor's delight, pink sky in the morning, sailor's warning. And they'd say, okay, which was it? Okay, I think we're okay. They're jumping in the boat and they're getting ready to go across the lake. Jesus, so fatigued by his ministry to the people, was asleep, right at the rear of the boat. And so here are the disciples, and they're, they're rowing or sailing or whatever they're doing to power the boat across the lake. And then we come to verse 24. And behold, now, whenever you say, see, behold, in the Gospels, particularly in Matthew, that tells us, hey, something big is about to happen. And so here's what happens. And behold, There arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by waves, but he was asleep. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. Now, when we look at this story, if you've ever been on water and you have a sudden storm come upon you, you can relate to what Matthew is relating to us. These fishermen had probably been in their share of storms. And by the way, the Sea of Galilee gets its share of storms because it's 600 feet below sea level. It has mountains on one side, so the air can rush in from the sea and then swirl and turn it into a tempest. And so here is Jesus in the back of the boat, resting, And here are the disciples, and when the wind started to pick up, they were probably like, we've got this. We'll just power through it. And they tried, but then as the waves started to lap over the side of the boat and fill the boat, you had some of the disciples rowing, and you had some of the disciples bailing, and they looked at it and they said, we're in serious trouble. You know, when I was in college, friend of mine and I decided to go to a lake that was built by the Corps of Engineers. It was East Lind Lake. And we were out in a rowboat. Beautiful day. Now in West Virginia, because it's mountainous, uh, the lake would have obviously been in a valley. And so 
this storm blew in unexpectedly. And not having power, but having a rowboat, I can sympathize with the disciples and what they must have felt because when the storm blew in, high winds, pounding rain that turned to hail, so we put life jackets on our heads, rowed as quickly as we could to whatever shore we could find. We stayed there. I drove out in a Volkswagen convertible. Course left the top down. We get to the shore. We hide under a tree, which is crazy in a lightning storm, but we had little choice because we were getting pounded by hail. And so we got into the boat, and after it calmed down, we thought we're going to row back and get out of here. So we decided we'd better dump the boat before we go back. And so we did. We dumped the boat so it wouldn't sink on us as we tried to row back. Rode back, made it there, went to my car, my keys. Oh, I sat them on the seat of the boat and we dumped them. So I had to call my parents to come get me. Opened the door to my convertible and water poured out like Niagara Falls. It was a miserable day, but it was nothing compared to what the disciples are going through. They looked at something that could have been considered mundane. It started to turn on them, and they said, we need to power through this. We need to come to the place to where we get to our destination somehow. So you bail, I'll row. And as they're doing that, they are not keeping ahead of it, and they're afraid. So what do they do? The passage goes on to say, and they went and woke him, of course, the Lord is in the back of the boat asleep, saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. Now, some of the other gospels frame it even a little bit differently. Some of them even have the disciples saying, teacher, don't you care if we drown? That would be the book of Mark. They were in full panic mode. And we can understand that. There are situations in life that put us into full panic mode and we have two choices. Do I keep struggling in my own strength to get through this and sink? Or do I turn to the Lord and trust in Him? What we learn from this passage of Scripture is this. We turn to the Lord. But here's the thing. Don't wait like the disciples until all of your human resources are spent and you've done as much as you can and now that you finally come to the conclusion that things are outside my control, I can turn to the Lord. Go right away to the Lord and trust Him. Draw upon His resources. Rest in His truth. There's another dynamic that's going on here as well, though. As the disciples went to the Lord and said, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Look at verse 26. Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Now, Jesus gives a rebuke to them, and he says, Why are you afraid? Another perspective that we need to keep is this. Sometimes there are going to be things that come into our life that seem kind of crazy. 
And we're waiting on God to respond in our time. I kind of picture the disciples. Maybe some of them were just saying, you know, he's tired. Let's not wake him. Then things start getting worse and worse. And they're saying, eh, maybe we should wake him, but maybe not. And then finally, somebody says, we, we got to wake him because we're going down, right? But here's the thing. Jesus had told them to take him from there to the other side. He had a purpose and a plan that was unfolding. Things were getting sketchy. I don't discount that. They were frightening. I don't discount that. But there's a place where they needed to trust the Lord. That his purpose and his plan would unfold. And they could count on that purpose and plan. So he rebukes them, saying, you have little faith. Now, thankfully, they had some faith, right? They had enough faith to go to Jesus in the midst of their conflict, probably waiting a little too long, perhaps, uh, but going to Jesus and talking to him about it. So that showed some faith, but their faith wasn't really being directed toward the Lord and what the Lord wanted of them and how the Lord wanted to conduct his ministry. As a matter of fact, if they really, really thought about it, they would have stopped what they were doing and just put their trust in the Lord. And here's the amazing thing. When they listened to the Lord, after He had expressed the truth that they had little faith, He went on to actually take care of the issue at hand. Look at what happened, and this is a miracle. Verse 26, then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Now, for those of you who are out on the water a lot, you know when there's a storm, that even when the storm stops, it doesn't go from chop and waves and a tempest to glass. There's a process. Those waves that have been going against the shores, there's an equal and opposite response as those waves pound the shore and they come back to the middle. It takes a while for something to settle down, right? When you're in a storm. Not the case here. Because of Jesus' authority over the physical world, what happened? He speaks a word and it passes glass, completely calm water. You know, as we encounter difficulties in life, as we encounter those things that will be a challenge to us as we go through life, those unexpected things that will happen to us, we need to trust in the Lord. We're invited to do that. The book of Hebrews shares this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be overcome by panic and alarm. The Lord is our helper. Now the writer of Hebrews was talking about a situation of persecution in the first century. That's why it says, I will not fear what man can do to me. But you can plug in your favorite value to that passage of Scripture. What is the focus of your fear in this moment? What are the things that you can look at and say, 
the Lord is my helper, I will not fear in this situation. The disciples learned that in turning to Jesus, their fear was resolved. Yes, they went through some panic. They went through some effort on their way to discovering that. But they saw the power of the Lord Jesus Christ evidenced. And they saw his authority and their fear went away. You know, in so many of the struggles that we face, there's a beginning and an end. We go into it, hits us by surprise. Maybe we panic, maybe we don't. We navigate through it, we depend on the Lord, we seek His strength and His peace as we go through it, and then there's an end to it, and we see how God put these things together according to His purpose and His plan and His will, and we can rest in it. And let me say this, that is true of every situation in life, including the coronavirus. There's a beginning, we're in the midst of it now, there's going to be an end. But God is faithful through it all. We can count on Him. Look at what we find as we come to verse 27. Our perception of Jesus changes when we see His power. Look at verse 27. In 27 it says, And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey Him? Now, going into this, the disciples had seen Jesus heal diseases, cast out demons, do some pretty spectacular things, but they still didn't understand who Jesus is. They were growing in that understanding, but they still didn't get it. Their response of, who is this man that even the waves and the sea obey his command? They increased their understanding of who Jesus is by going through the storm with him and coming out on the other side. Can I say this? There will be storms that rock your life. This is one of them that we're in now, perhaps. There will be more to come. But your response to the storm will be greatly affected by your perception of Jesus. We need to go into these things understanding that Jesus is in control. And we need to draw upon His strength and His resources as we face that. Now, this is a wonderful story of truth, but it doesn't stop here. And begins... The next part of this passage, verse 28, and what we find in the Gospels is when we have that connecting word and it's telling us another aspect of a point that Matthew is making. And the point that he wants to make here is this, that Jesus has power and authority over the spiritual realm. And it's demonstrated by something that may be a little outside our wheelhouse and our norm, and that is through an encounter with demonic activity. Now, Jesus had already been healing people and casting out demons, but what he found as he landed on the other side of the Sea of Galilee was a situation that is described in the Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospel writers 
as a case of extreme demon possession. The possession of these demons, just as the disciples tried to row and overcome it by bailing out the boat and rowing, so now there was an entire community that was under the bondage of this demon possession that was taking place. And all of their efforts to try and quell what was going on came to nothing. When we come to verse 28, it says this, And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. Now, that's a pretty extreme situation, isn't it? There are people living in the tombs, which is kind of a creepy place to live anyway, right? And anytime somebody tries to pass on the road to the village, yeah, you know, <laughs> these, these, these crazy demon-possessed people drive them away. I mean, talk about a community that is under oppression. That is this community. Mark even brings out that the community tried to restrain the worst of the two. It says this in describing the demon-possessed man that they tried to subdue. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound by shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. So here you have a community trying to address the issues and the needs of the community, but they were incapable of doing so. Why? Because the demons that were possessing this man had so empowered him, they were unable to do it. There's a parallel, right? You see, not only are there physical things that can happen outside the realm of our control, but as human beings, we need to understand that there are also spiritual things that can happen that are outside the realm of our control. There are spiritual forces that are at work in our world that often we ignore or discount, but that the Word of God reveals are real, they exist, and if we think that they don't, we're being very foolish. Luke shares the following concerning this demon-possessed man. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. So this man, I mean, he lived like a feral animal, basically. And so here Jesus and the disciples encounter him. This was a plague on their community. Anyone who wanted to even come near the tombs, was immediately shut down. And it was because of the strength of these demons. Now, question. What are demons? Demons, as taught in Scripture, are fallen angels. 
Angels who chose to not follow God, but rebel against God, when Satan, a created angel, rebelled against God as well. Their rebellion is described in the book of Revelation in the following way. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So these demons would be the angels that were thrown down with Satan when Satan rebelled against God. In some communities and cultures... There is a high level of demonic activity because the demons seek to intimidate, to instill fear, and to gain control and power by their activity. And that's what was going on here. Here you have a whole community subdued by a demon-possessed man. But we as believers can even face struggle when it comes to demonic activity as well. Not in the sense that we can be possessed, but certainly in the sense that we can have spiritual warfare with Satan and his representatives. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and he said this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Now, The powers and authorities or rulers and authorities that are mentioned in this passage are often found in Scripture to be a hierarchical power structure within the angelic realm. And so what the Word of God is warning us against is this, look, there are those things that we see, the flesh and blood, the persecutors, and we look at them and we say, wow, this is tough, this is difficult. And they're real, but we can see those. But there's a whole unseen realm where spiritual battles take place. And we need to come to terms with that and recognize that. We struggle against the forces of evil in the heavenly places. But then we go on in the text. In verses 29 through 32, we see proof of Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm. Look at what it says at verse 29. As we come to this, it says, and behold. So there's that formula again, right? Behold tells us something big is about to happen. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Now here's an amazing thing. These demons recognize who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. They didn't call Him teacher. They didn't disrespect Him. They didn't try to even oppose Him for even a second. They were afraid. Where they had caused fear in everyone else, they knew who they were addressing, and that is the sovereign God in the person of Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's the idea that's being brought about by this passage of Scripture. Jesus had no fear of them. They were afraid of him. And notice I use the term they. 
When we look in the book of Mark, we find Jesus address the demons. And Jesus asked this demon-possessed man, what is your name? And look at what it says. He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. This demonic activity that was taking place was not just one demon running amok. This person was infested with demons. And they had gained such a foothold over his life that he afflicted an entire community. We go on and Matthew tells us the following. When it comes to demons, they face one who has absolute control over them. As a matter of fact, look at the passage before us. And verse 31 brings out, And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. They are asking Jesus to send them into the pigs. Why? Because a little bit earlier it says, Have you come here to torment us before the time? Here's the issue. Demons are under the authority of God, and there is coming a time where they will be judged for their wickedness. In Matthew 25, 41, a little bit later in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew recounts this for us. He says, Then he will say to them on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into, now look at this, the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That would be the devil and his demons. No doubt, as these demons inhabiting this individual looked and saw who Jesus was, they said, Oh, no. <laughs> this is what he can do with us. He can cast us into the lake of fire right now if he so chooses. In the book of Revelation, it says this, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So these demons feared their outcome. And here's the thing. There are many today who will discount the doctrine of hell. That's what the lake of fire is, right? That is this place of torment, right? The demons believed it with every fiber of their being, and they feared it. Hell is a real place, and it is a place where the wicked will find themselves if they are not delivered by the Son of God. And that's really something that is a theme of both of these passages. It takes Jesus to deliver us from the things over which we have no control. When it comes to our spiritual standing and our hope of deliverance from hell, we can't deliver ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, we can't deliver ourselves. We need Jesus when it comes to being delivered from these spiritual forces. People tried in their own efforts. They even chained them, but nothing worked. Only Jesus could deliver this community. We need to see Jesus in the same way. He is the King, the one who is in control. And that's what we're reminded of in this passage. So that's why the, the, the demons say in verse 31, they begged him, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Now, some of you may be wondering, 
in this region where there are so many Jews, what are pigs doing being tended? Along with the Jews, there were Gentiles. The Gentiles understood bacon. And so they raised pigs, right? Um, thankfully, we are no longer under the law because I have a pork shoulder in my smoker even as we speak. But here's the thing. The demons want to inhabit a body. If Jesus was going to cast them out of the man that they had afflicted, they wanted somewhere to go. And so what did they do? They entered into this herd of pigs. And here's the amazing thing. Once they entered, they do what demons do. They destroyed them. And so they rushed headlong down a hill, and when they got to the bottom of the hill, they were destroyed. They died. We find that Jesus has authority. Why He chose to send them into the pigs isn't discussed in the Scripture. It wasn't their time to go into the pit, the abyss that holds those wicked angels. As a matter of fact, the book of Revelation chapter 9 discusses a holding place for demons where these demons will be released during the tribulation, a time that visits terrible judgment on this world. In Revelation 9-11, it says this, they have as their king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. And his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek it is called Apollyon. Both of those mean destroyer or destruction. So these demons recognize the power of Jesus. They follow the command of Jesus. They bring about some destruction, but only what Jesus allowed. And it was a demonstration of Jesus' power over them all. And here's the thing. When those demons were cast out, just as the water went calm, so when those demons were cast out of these people, they went calm as well. Luke tells us the following. The people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. You know, we see a lot of movies, we see a lot of things where demon possession has people that, that, that are reading Latin, doing incantations, throwing holy water on people, going through a lot of rigmarole in order to deliver, and it was just the word of Jesus that stopped the demonic activity. Immediate calm, immediate transformation. That is the power of our Lord. And that is the strength that He has over the spiritual forces of darkness. That is the God that we serve. Final part of the passage reveals the preference that the people have for darkness rather than light. This part of the story amazes me, but not in a good way. Look at what Matthew says, starting at verse 33. 
The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Now, no doubt, the herdsmen were upset because that's their livelihood, right? Whole herd of pigs, gone. But look at what happens then at verse 34. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. Now, if it ended there, that would have been cool. Had they said to Jesus, thank you, we've been plagued by this man for so long, thank you for delivering us, we would understand. But look at what happens. They came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. People have a preference for darkness over light. The Word of God shares this in the Gospel of John. It says this, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming to the world. It's speaking of Jesus, of course. And it says, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That's what's going on here. Rather than thanking him for the deliverance, They wanted to send him away. John chapter 3, verse 19, says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Listen, the community may have been delivered from the power of the demons through this demon-possessed man. But they were not delivered from darkness because rather than turning to Jesus, they wanted to send him away. It's so important that we understand that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is here to deliver us. But when he delivers us, we need to turn to him, not turn away. We need to find in Him our hope, our help, our trust, our faith. These people were afraid of the demon, but then they were afraid of Jesus in an unhealthy way. Had they listened, they would have heard the truth and the blessing and the good that Jesus brought to them. But in their short-sightedness, they send him away. You know, there are many people who will come to church and find a warm and welcoming place, good relationships, nice people, great dinners together with church people, right? All of those things. And they look and they say, wow, this is great. But they never take that next step of trusting Jesus. They send him away having been partially helped, but not all the way. God wants us to go all the way with Jesus. Not sending Him away, but embracing Him, believing on Him, trusting Him for who He is. This morning, as we all face uncertain days ahead, we can face them with fear, 
or we can face them with faith. May I encourage you this morning to face them with faith. Trust in the same Jesus who is recounted for us as one who is powerful in all of these gospels, in all of these stories. He's the deliverer. He is the Savior. He is God. Our response should be that of faith and not that of pushing Him away and still choosing to go our own way apart from Him. The lesson that we find in this deliverance from the demon-possessed is this. We need to turn to Jesus and receive the greater deliverance of a right standing with God through Jesus Christ. And that is accomplished by trusting in Him as the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who provides a way for us to know the Father and delivers us from this dark world into eternal life and the kingdom of light. Heavenly Father, thank You for this text. Thank you for the reminder that it is to us all that Jesus is in control. He exercises authority over everything. God, let us count on that truth and live according to it. In Jesus' name, amen.